featuring Mago the Magician. They can help you get auto financing for anything in business for over 32 years. Magic Financing is dedicated to customer satisfaction. If you've got credit issues, they have the answer. No matter what your profile is, they can help. They work with people who have fair, bad, or just terrible credit, repayment history, as well as people who have no money down. That's right, no money down. They're located at 6385 North Federal Boulevard with a great auto inventory. Give them a call at 303-298-1155. That's Magic Financing features Mago the Magician. They're open Monday through Friday until 8 and Saturdays till 7. Check them out. That's Magic Financing. Call them today at 303-298-1155. Tell them you heard about it here at KUHSDenver.com. Also visit us at www.magicfinancing.com. Good afternoon and welcome to the council. I'm your host, Charlie Pacello. And boy, folks, we have a fantastic show for you today. I'm so excited to reintroduce to you my guest for today. Uh, it's been a while since we've been together. I hope everybody's having a great Valentine's Day out there, whether you have a loved one or not. Or, boy, it's just about uh, sharing and spreading the love anyway, you know, and expressing care, concern, compassion, uh, kindness to others. I mean, even if you don't have a, a lover per se, you can express those uh, feelings to the people around you. And, uh, you know, celebrate Valentine's Day, you know, do some self-care, that kind of stuff. Um, Want to make sure that we, um, you know, celebrate uh, my, my, my sponsorship. Uh, they, they, uh, they take care of me. They've allowed the show to keep going on, magicfinancing.com. If you need a car, a new car or used car, uh, please go to, to Magic Financing. They're located... Uh, right off of Federal, and you, if you want to have a car, a uh, used car, they'll be able to help you. Talk to Maurizio and uh, let him know that Charlie sent you. And, boy, if you want the car of your dreams, uh, he'll help you to get it. So go to magicfinancing.com. Also want to let everybody know that I have a brand-new book. Uh, I don't have it with me right now. Uh, I, I, I've been selling them. So. Uh, but I have a new book out there. It's called Meditations with Masters of the Axial Age. And you can find it on Amazon.com. You can find it at StoreBookBaby.com. Uh, also, Barnes & Noble. You can get it in ebook or paperback. And it's, uh, it's a book about the soul. It's a little self-help book for the soul. And you get to explore and understand a little history of, uh, of humanity, the Axial Age, uh, which was a monumental period in time. It was an epic shifting period of time very much like what we're living right now another axial type of age is what we're going through today and all of these people uh they didn't have any contact with one another it was in greece it was in india it was in china it was in israel and they were going through these profound transformations these inner transformations they were dealing with a lot of violence and conflict and suffering and these, uh, these masters, these spiritual masters, philosophers, poets, uh, teachers, were going deep within trying to understand how do we get through suffering? What is the purpose of it? Um, why is there so much suffering? And they were coming up with the, virtually the same conclusions uh, about the nature of it and how it often leads us to uh, enlightenment and how it leads us to a greater alchemy of who we are. And so you get to meet people like Socrates and the Greek playwrights from Greece, Ezekiel, 
from the, 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 the Middle East and Israel, uh, Lao Tzu from China and Confucius and, and the Buddha and the, and the mystics of the Upanishads uh, from India. And so it's a, it's a book to help you to get a deeper understanding of, uh, of our human story. So check it out, Meditations with Masters of the Axial Age. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Okay, so today's show, wow, um, we're going to be talking about love but in a completely different way, love and intimacy. Uh, you know, the, when I first met uh, Dr. Tick here, uh, I, was, um, I was a veteran. I was suffering from a lot of trauma-related issues and PTSD from the work that uh, I had done in the military. And uh, we met, uh, I, think it was back in, I think it was back in 2013, and uh, it was at Joshua Tree. There was a retreat there that, we, uh, that was for veterans, and we went. There was a soldier's heart retreat. And uh, it was the first time that I had really been able to acknowledge what happened to me or, or, you know, working on the nuclear warfare program and how much it affected me, how much it uh, caused a deep moral injury uh, that I could finally be surrounded by people who understood what had happened and didn't reject me or didn't shame me for that experience. And we both had this love of Greece, uh, Dr. Tick and I, and he allowed me to carry while I was at that retreat, this, this amulet that he carried of Socrates, uh, that, had, that a stone that he had uh, carried around his neck that was at Socrates' cell. And I had had a love of, of the Greeks for, for, oh, since, uh, since I was a young child uh, from my father, who loved the Greeks and the Romans as well. And uh, so it was just, it was, a, it was this immediate connection. And then uh, he and his wife, Kate Daltstead, invited me to go with them on, an, on a journey to Greece. And it was my first journey out there. And it was like an awakening that I hadn't ever experienced. I was walking through Athens and, and experiencing profound experiences as we journeyed there and traveling and reacquainting myself with uh, the theater and the, and the ancient Greeks and how they use theater and ritual to help cleanse their, their culture, their society, uh, their warriors uh, from the traumas that they had experienced in their wars. And uh, boy, I, I just had a love of, uh, of not only the experience of what I'd gained from Dr. Tick, but just from understanding the profound love that warriors have for one another and that can transcend generations, that you can feel when you walk in some of these places. If you're really paying attention, this, this, you know, this one time I went to, we went to Thermopylae. And we were standing on the same grounds that Leonidas uh, and those Spartans who had defended against the Persians that were evading and going into the valley where they stood their ground. And it was amazing. It wasn't one that I had expected it, but I, as soon as I descended into that valley, I had this huge wave of grief. Where did it come from? How did it come from? Why? Uh, and it was just this in, in deep awe and respect and reverence for the people who had been there and what they stood for and how they, the, the honor and nobility of defending their people the way they did against a, an aggressor. And it just overwhelmed me. And so we have this deep connection to the warriors and that love that is there, that transcends time, that many people don't even understand it. And so today, we're going to go dive in a little bit deeper into that love that warriors have for one another 
and how it's different and how it also you know can affect our families and our and our loved ones our lovers uh, because of that experience so let me introduce my guest to you um He's been on the show before. This is his third time on the show, and uh, I hope to have him on more. Uh, it's Dr. Edward Tick. He is a nonfiction writer and poet. He's a transformational healer, holistic psychotherapist, educator, consultant, and international journey guide. He has been working to heal the invisible wounds of war and violent trauma for over 40 years. He is honored for his groundbreaking work in the spiritual, holistic, and community-based healing of veterans and other survivors of severe violence who suffer post-traumatic stress disorder and moral injury. He has published breakthrough book, excuse me, breakthrough books in this field, including the award-winning War in the Soul, which is amazing. His work introduced the ancient concept of soul wounding and how to heal it to our modern military, veteran, and trauma study worlds. He is an internationally recognized educator, author, and expert on the military, veterans, PTSD, Vietnam, and the psychology, spirituality, and history of global trauma, warrior traditions, and military-related issues. For four decades, he has conducted trainings, retreats, and workshops across the country and overseas. He has trained staff, taught and worked with wounded warriors at major departments of defense, excuse me, and wounded warriors at major Department of Defense and Veteran Administration facilities and at colleges, universities, hospitals, healthcare, and community centers across the country and overseas. Department of Defense and VA facilities use his pioneering work, and he has served as the U.S. military subject matter expert trainer on PTSD and moral injury for the past decade. Ed co-founded the nonprofit Soldier's Heart, Inc., with his partner, Kate Daldstedt, and for 13 years served as its director from their national offices in Troy, New York. He now consults internationally on these issues. His website is www.edwardtick.com. That's E-D-W-A-R-D-T-I-C-K.com, edwardtick.com. Welcome to the show, Ed. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you very much. Thank you for that full introduction. I feel uh, humbled and overwhelmed. <laughs> well, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> I want to meet him too. Well, I mean, hello and uh, hello to all of our listeners, and thank you for all the service you've given. Thank you for attending this radio show and the, the contributions you're all making to healing our world. Well, and it's, you know, Ed, with uh, people understood the, the dedication, commitments, self-sacrifice that you have given to helping people understand the deeper dimensions, the, the spiritual and moral dimensions of war trauma and how this affects the soul, uh, we are indebted to you for all the work that you have given us. And we will carry it forward some way, somehow, to better all those who suffer from trauma, not just our veterans, but all those, because trauma is a soul wound as you have so uh, well articulated in all your works. so Yes, thank you. And we should underline for everybody that what we've learned from our warriors and from, from veteran and military trauma applies to all trauma. And we are in an age of apocalypse where there is global trauma breaking down the entire world system. Mm -hmm. And so in this sense, 
Warriors are protectors and preservers in essence. And the lessons that our warriors have learned from surviving trauma are now applicable and desperately needed by the entire world community to address the global trauma that we're all in. Yeah. So I, our work becomes even more meaningful, not only relevant to veterans and military and their loved ones and survivors, but to the entire world system. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's uh, when you recognize that the, the wounds of the soul needed to be treated with the language of the soul. You have to be able to reach the soul, not just treat the symptoms of what the soul is expressing through the, the injuries, the, the flashbacks, the, 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 the hauntings, the, 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 the psychosomatic symptoms. There's a deeper reason why those things are happening. And, and we continue to celebrate your work uh, in everything that uh, I do for sure, because it was, you know, it was you who led me to the place that recognized that I needed to dig even deeper and understand the nature of my own soul so that I could come back and heal it and help to heal others with it as well. So today we're talking about love, uh, Doc, Ed. <laughs> what did the ancient Greeks think about love? Uh, you know, were they passionate? I mean, what was it about? What did they think about it? Were they, was it just a passionate desire re represented by the goddess Aphrodite? Or, or did they have a deeper understanding of love than we do today in our modern world? Well, first, I want to wish everybody a happy Valentine's Day, but to take it seriously as a time of spiritual connection and celebration. So happy Valentine's Day, and thanks to everybody for joining us. And we do intend to look at some of the more challenging and unknown dimensions of love together. And so before we even uh, go, I go to your question, well, this is, it's relevant to your question. Of, yes, the Greeks understood love much better than we do, and they had many different words for the different kinds of love. So I'm honored and pleased to say to, to you, Charlie, my brother and friend, uh, and in front of the whole world, I love you. Right. I love you. And I'm proud to say so, and I'm proud to tell the world that the connection we have is deep, profound, intimate, soul-piercing. And this is one of the many kinds of loves the Greeks uh, knew about. Mm -hmm. In the Greek language, there are many different words for different kinds of love. We in English don't have that. So the kind of love that you and I share, um, the city of Philadelphia, philo adelphios, mm -hmm. it means, uh, it literally means um, brother, friend, brother. Philos is friend and adelphos is brother. And we call Philadelphia the city, city of brotherly love. In ancient Greece, this kind of love, uh, you and I would be called brother friends. Mm. And every we would have the word to express that Everybody would know that we were deeply bonded. If we were warriors serving together, we would be next to each other on the battle line. Mm -hmm. And my shield would be over your heart or yours over mine. Mm -hmm. And we would be willing, we would live for each other, and we would really be willing to die for each other. Mm -hmm. We would never allow uh, anyone to hurt our brother, and we would never allow ourselves to act in a dishonorable way because we would not be able to tolerate dishonor in front of our brother. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the many kinds of love this the Greeks recognize. Of course, uh, some of us know some of the more well-known Greek words for love. Eros is Aphrodite. Eros was a god. He was the 
fun of Aphrodite, and we know about erotic love, which we mean as uh, usually referred to as uh, sexual love. There's agape, there's Kinkos, the love of brothers, there's God's overwhelming love that spills over into humanity. Caritas is the origin of the word charity. That's compassionate, charitable love that we feel toward the, the challenged, the troubled, and the afflicted when we pour out love and uh, good works toward them. Uh, the Greeks also, we do know that they practiced um, homosexuality mm -hmm. and that that was also an honored form of love in the Greek tradition. Uh, there was love between men. There was uh, love between women, though that was earlier and more hidden, but it existed. Uh, there was free love sometimes during uh, Dionysian rituals when, well, once a year people were cut loose, set free. We have Halloween. And some <laughs> countries have carnival. Right. Well, the Saturnalias and the Dionysias of ancient times were carnival times ten, yes. times a thousand, with ecstatic uh, activities, singing, dancing, putting ourselves into trances, and um, practicing free sexuality, free love during the time of the ritual, and it was considered sacred, not profane, and one who uh, participated in, in sexuality during ritual was not betraying their marriage or their family. Wow. Because it was under the protection of the gods and the goddesses. So, yes, they understood. Uh, well, also, um, Plato's Symposium and uh, Phaedrus are two of the dialogues that teeth talk at great length about the love between older mentors and younger mentees. Mm -hmm. Men would adopt a charge, a, uh, a younger man or an adolescent boy whom they felt particularly attracted to and who was particularly gifted, and they would be lovers, but they would be friends, they would be battle buddies. Mm -hmm. The elder would be responsible for the raising and the mentoring of the younger, and that kind of love was even closer, more intimate than the parent-child relationship. Uh, the, the elder was that responsible for and devoted to the younger and this was not considered uh, pedophilia as we have rampant today but on the contrary it was a blessed form of love that was necessary for the young man's unfolding and initiation well, wasn't so we already see that there are many many versions of love and loving ah let's put another one in they also practiced in the greek world in the ancient mediterranean and middle east world they practiced what uh, sacred prostitution yeah that's right they and did that was when, right when, when warriors came back from the battlefield when sailors came back from long voyages they didn't go home first mm -hmm. we know when we send our warriors home immediately after deployment without downtime without healing without retreat without reverse boot camp to take the world war out of them we, there's extraordinary dimensions of domestic violence and abuse and misunderstanding. Well, in the ancient world, the warriors first went to the temples of Aphrodite, mm. the goddess of love of their particular culture, and they were welcomed home by priestesses of the goddess of love. Mm -hmm. uh, what we Now we call that uh, role sacred prostitution. Mm. And they would make love, they would ha share music, they would share poetry, they would tell stories. These women were highly educated and had more rights than any other women in their cultures, and mm. they were under the protection.
action of the goddess of love and serving that goddess. And literally, they, that relationship was meant to take the warp out of the warrior and discharge him so he could go home to his family safe and discharged. Um, our contemporary writer and our friend, uh, friend of ours, a colleague of ours, Dina Metzger, a uh, wonderful writer and teacher in California, wrote a modern play. The title of it is The Woman Who Made Love to Men to Take the War Out of Them. Wow. And I have worked in therapy with women who betrayed their marriage relationship uh, because they had an old friend or a lover who did go to war and came back and they left their marriage to have intensive short affairs with their returning warrior friend. They didn't know about the sacred prostitute, but they were enacting that archetype in our modern term mm -hmm. times. And, and when they learned about sacred prostitution, they said, oh, that's what I was doing for my old high school friend. Mm. I wasn't trying to betray my husband. I wasn't trying to leave my marriage. I was using my femininity, my womanhood, to bring my old friend home from war. Mm -hmm. And now I understand that wasn't a betrayal. That was a greater act of love, and I can forgive myself. So all these forms of love are active in the ancient Greek world. They are still with us in sometimes in secret or disguised forms, mm -hmm. and it really behooves us to become aware of all of this and bring it back and realize the extraordinary breadth and depth of the types of loving that we can do as human beings. Well, I think it is extraordinary the depth and breadth of love that we can do as human beings. Uh, you know, in English, we only have one language for love. I mean, it's just love, but in Greece, uh, Greece or the Greeks, I think they have uh, four different words for love. I think they have philia, eros, agape, and uh, um, no. Caritas. Caritas, yep. And I think in Sanskrit, uh, or in India, they have like 70 words for love. Or, and, and, you know, there's, and, and so they really have a deeper grasp of that concept of love that uh, in the Western world we haven't been able, or we went away from it a little bit because of, uh, you know, the age of enlightenment and other things in, in the dark ages that kept us uh, from uh, exploring and understanding our own sensuality and ability to, uh, to be okay in our bodies, that it was that love is an expression of who we are and uh, to, to feel love for somebody is good and how we manage that with others and how we honor that is 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 the is the trick but uh, the greeks really had a grasp and understanding like and like you were saying with uh, the the warriors you know there was a book that i think you had had me read it was called uh, the last of the wine uh, by renee yes. uh, uh renault mary uh, renault yeah. and it was this beautiful story about these two warriors and one of them was in that mentorship that mentor uh a mentee role and how it, it wasn't a it wasn't a sexual thing, but it was it was a brotherly love. It's a love that you feel for your brother. You, you you watch them. You you nurture them. You you guide them. You encourage them. You you give them strength. You 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 discipline them when you need to. You're you're out there. You're standing right next to them. And by gosh, and I think every every soldier who has ever been out in combat in any way, shape, or form doesn't give a damn about the politics of the situation. What they care about is making sure my brother or sister comes back home. That's what they care about. They don't care about anything. So I'm going to do whatever I can. And they, re he, Mary really expressed that in this book. And then at the end, uh, the, 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 the mentor, who I, I can't remember his name right now, Lysis, I think maybe, 
uh, is dying uh, after this major battle. And the, his, his mentee, the, the one that he had been coaching and, and bringing up into being the warrior that he was, is there. And all he cared about was making sure that his brother was still alive before he died. And it was so beautiful. It showed to me in such a beautiful way that there is no greater love than to be able to give your life for another. You know, and that's the old uh, Christian doctrine of Jesus saying that, and saying that in the Bible. Um, my gosh, what can we say, uh, Ed, about the love between warrior brothers and sisters? Can we expand on that just a little more so people can really grasp what it means? Yeah, and, and we can also relate it to... Uh uh, the uh, more conventional love in family. One of the issues that so many of our veterans face uh, when they come home is that they still have that profound love and connection to their warrior brothers and sisters. And tragically, unfortunately, that often comes into conflict with uh, love of family. Uh, well, we can look at that more deeply later. But warrior brothers and sisters understand each other, their lives are dependent on each other. As you rightly said, the purpose in battle is to get my battle buddies and myself through this horror. And that's all we are thinking about, that's all we, we want to do. Um, another, well, an ancient Greek proverb that I love dearly, and it's also from another one of Mary Renault's books, that she uses it in uh, The King Must Die. Uh, she says, and the Greeks said, only one the snake has bitten can tell another how it feels. Mm. <laughs> warriors understand warriors because they've both been bitten by the snake. Yeah. That's and, great. and warriors need, or anybody who's been through any extreme situation, any traumatic uh, experience, need to be fully understood, comprehended, loved, uh, given compassion, given tending from people who really understand what they went through. Mm -hmm. So our warriors always say, I just want somebody who gets it. My therapist doesn't get it. My wife doesn't get it. My friends don't get it. Uh, you get it, Charlie. I get it. Mm -hmm. It takes profound commitment, devotion, life experience, courage to go into the deep, dark, painful places in order to get it. And we need to allow ourselves to be initiated by the darkness. Mm -hmm. And that brings the most extraordinary depths of bonding. And so that's warrior mm -hmm. uh, brother and sister love. Uh, Jonathan Shea, whom we, we know, we know his work. He's famous for writing Achilles in Vietnam, Odysseus in America. He actually said that he believed that the love between warriors was more like mother-child rather than brother to brother hmm. because of the extraordinary depth of concern, caring, protection, tending they give each other. Mm -hmm. When a warrior collapses, uh, wounded in body or in heart or soul, collapses into another warrior's arms, uh, they become like parent and child. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the, the important thing really is not which role, is it brotherly or is it parental? The important thing is realizing the extraordinary and unbreakable depth of bonding that that brings that lasts a lifetime, yeah. lasts a lifetime. So, uh, and our warriors know this, um, 40, 50, 60 years after service, 
they're still looking for the warriors that they served with decades ago mm -hmm. and still feel those are my closest brothers and sisters i went through the most formative experiences of my life with them and they're the only ones who really 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 get it mm -hmm. well we want yeah. family members to bond that deeply uh and sometimes they do but um tragically they often can't and that causes some difficulties in family love relationships later on but well, everybody yeah. should really understand and affirm and honor the extraordinary bonding that warriors have with each other and it isn't only warriors who served together or from the same country uh, as we both know because we've traveled overseas mm -hmm. we work with warriors from other cultures uh, um, some of our listeners and friends out there know I've been leading healing and reconciliation journeys back to Vietnam uh, every year since 2000. So I've been back to Vietnam 18 times. I've spent about a year and a half in country um, as a healer. And the love between our veterans and the Vietnamese veterans is equally extraordinary. They recognize each other. Uh, in the words of Tom Tien, a Viet Cong veteran, we meet with every year, who is a beloved brother. Um, he said, uh, from now on and forevermore, we are brothers and sisters who survived the same hell. Yeah. And yeah. it's surviving that hell that makes us brothers. <clears throat> Even if we were on enemies, causing that hell, sending that hell to each other, when we meet afterwards, they fall into each other's arms with the most extraordinary love, respect, kindness, compassion, uh, and they are as much in love with each other, former foes, mm -hmm. as uh, you and I are, Charlie, or you and your closest battle buddy from the Air Force. Well, and, and you're mentioning that, too, as you know, when you fall into that sense of, you know, you remember those times that you spent with those guys and those gals that, you know, you reflect back and, and you have such a bond with them. You have, because you have gone through things that only you can connect to and relate to. And you watch and you see it and you have an immediate respect and, and reverence for them. And so th and that bonding that you feel is so strong that you can look back on it at those times and, and where you felt most alive. You can look back at those times feeling, you know, that's, that's, that's when my life, that was when the best time of my life it was, was when I was serving was when I was standing next to it and working with those buddies and, 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 and being on, on, the, on the battlefield and, and being engaged in, the, in those air arenas because I knew they were there for me and I was there for them. And boy, oh boy, and, and it's, it, there was, it was very clear, absolutely clear. That you, you, I'm there to protect you. You're there to protect me. There's no question about it. There's no what ifs. There's no, well, you know, today, maybe, maybe not tomorrow. No, it was every single day. And that kind of commitment and dedication and depth of love to be able to defend and protect your, your brother. And you, then you'd come back into the real world or to the, not the real, well, it's all real, but you'd come back into the, other, the world that you came from. That it, it, you don't feel that, that sense of deep uh, loyalty that somebody will do whatever they can to protect you. And so people have a difficulty coming back in. But before we get to that, Ed, how does how does military service and war impact our ability to love, to form attachments, to being? Well, let's go to some difficult places here. 
We train, or every culture trains its warriors to take life, to kill. Hmm. And everybody who's been through training, through basic training and advanced training, and whether or not they've ever been in the combat zone, they have the, 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 the killing arts and killing skills. And some of the inhibitions that we all have and that have been socialized into us against killing have been reduced and eliminated. Now, killing itself is a profoundly intimate act. Mm -hmm. Profoundly so. Mm -hmm. And many of our warriors who have been in life and death situations talk about the intensity, well, as you mentioned, it is the most, uh, being in, in not only the military, but especially being in the combat zone, or as you were, uh, perched on the edge of, of worldwide de destruction, mm -hmm. you've experienced the most intense human uh, experiences possible. Coming back into the family and into the world, into society, there's no intensity like that, except sexuality. And so warriors have a special relationship to sexuality that we can talk about as well. Um, so the military, fosters the extraordinary devotion and loyalty of brother to brother. Um, part of the warrior's code, never leave a, a fallen soldier behind, never leave a brother behind. Um, they, we are taught and trained to be absolutely loyal and to never abandon our brother or our sister. Mm -hmm. That's also what makes military sexual trauma especially traumatizing because it's a betrayal by your brother and sister who's actually responsible for preserving and protecting your life. Mm -hmm. uh, and the military also teaches how to kill, which also impacts what, how and when and whether we can allow ourselves to love. And so that also uh, impacts the warrior and shapes him or her for the way they're going to love in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, some difficult stories that I'll share that plunge us deep, more deeply into this. One uh, veteran I'm thinking of uh, who was in very severe hand-to-hand -hand combat uh, <coughs> shared that the mo single most intimate moment of his life was when he and an enemy soldier were wrestling hand-to-hand -hand combat. Each one had their hands around the other one's throat and they were trying to choke each other to death. And they stared into each other's bulging eyes as they were doing this. They saw each other's souls. And they knew they each had the power to end this life. And he said, nothing I've ever experienced, not making love with my life under the most passionate and deepest felt conditions came anywhere near that degree of intimacy. Mm. Uh, another warrior I'm thinking of, this man is a uh, combat vet of both Korea and Vietnam, and he was a machine gunner, and he shared with me that as he was madly firing his machine gun, his M60 at the charging enemies, and seeing the bodies fall, that he had orgasms. Wow. He had orgasms. Wow. Taking life was the most erotic, intense passionate, intimate experience he ever had in his life. And he had to make sense of that. And so the military doesn't only teach the love of brothers and sisters, and it also creates the conditions 
under which sometimes that's betrayed, like military sexual trauma. Mm -hmm. But the military also brings Ares and Aphrodite, mm -hmm. the god of love and the god of war, together as one into total proximity. And this is also, Freud said that the love instinct, Eros, and the death instinct, Thanatos, were, you know, like this. There are two snakes around the caduceus. Mm -hmm. Love and death. The drive to love and create and preserve and the drive to die, to, to kill, to take life, to destroy are almost the same. They're that close. Mm -hmm. And we see that, and the military evokes that without making it conscious. So our warriors have to carry this. Another extraordinary place this is portrayed, um, most people miss it until we point it out. But most of us have seen and even studied the extraordinary movie Saving Private Ryan. Mm -hmm. There's this scene in uh, the battle for the town up in the Belfry where an American soldier is up there as a sniper and a German soldier that they had early, that the squad had earlier captured and let go because they didn't want to take the life of a prisoner. That was wrong. They let him go. Well, he became a combatant again. He comes into the Belfry and he mm -hmm. climbs up and the American and German meet in hand-to-hand -hand combat. The German defeats the American. The German crawls on top of him. They're lying on the ground, and the German is stroking his hair and saying, shh, shh, it's all right, it's all right, as he's slowly penetrating the mm. American with his bayonet down in the groin. Yeah. And the American is, is not screaming in pain. He's whispering, no, 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 no. Like, this is an act of love. They're having intercourse. And the German is saying, shh, it's all right. And the American is saying, no, please don't penetrate me. Yeah. And it looks like they're making love, except yeah. they're killing each other. Yeah. And that is, all of these examples are extraordinary ex um, examples of how close love and death, creation and destruction are, and how we uh, impact and infect our combat veterans with both at the same time. Yeah. And military experience, and especially a combat experience, uh, creates this caduceus of love and death that we have to work out in, through the rest of our lives. Oh, I, Ed, I remember that scene in that movie. My gosh, you know, it was, it was in your right. It was so vivid, and that was such an intimate exchange between those two combatants. And it did replicate the act of love, or the act of making love to someone while you're, you're moving into that sense of <clears throat> penetration. And as he's in the, 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 the shakiness, the, 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 you know, as you would engage with somebody who you're making, it was the same kind of thing. And I know that there's been a lot of veterans who have avoided getting that close in combat. You know, the idea of bayonet fighting, you know, it was just repulsive. Okay. The idea of coming in and having the bayonet penetrate you, you know, as soon as somebody would come in, they would, they would give up or, uh, you know, there wasn't as many, but the closer someone got, the more primal it became, the more erotic it became, the more that, that, that line between uh, the creative uh, force of sexuality and productivity and destructiveness and violence uh, were merging, the light and the dark aspects of ourselves were, come, were, were crossing. And so suddenly the, the, that combatant, that person has to confront and face this dark urge that comes out of you and that erotic primal urge that now instead of being creative is now destructive. And I think yes. one of the things, that, and that's why the, there's a linkage between sex and killing. And I think that, ex, that, 
that scene in that movie there ex expresses it so brilliantly, so brilliantly. Um, Edwin, where you, you mentioned a little bit about Ares and, and Aphrodite, and I want to get in this li a little bit more of the Greek uh, understanding of, of war and uh, love, if we could here. And uh, Ares was the god of war. Uh, he was uh, this ferocious, powerful god. And another, the other gods didn't like him. They didn't want to have any, even Zeus didn't want to have anything to do with his own son. And Aphrodite was the goddess of, of love and beauty and sex. And uh, she ends up falling in love with him. And uh, they're conjoined in this, this really scandalous affair. She was married to Hephaestus, was the, which was the god of the, um, of the armory. And, uh, and they have this illustrious affair, or this notorious affair that gets revealed, and uh, they get embarrassed by it. What is the significance of this mythological marriage of Aphrodite and Ares, and why, why, should, this concern, why should this concern us today? It's an important myth, and it has a lot of wisdom for us today, and I'd like to uh, share a few more of the details of that story. Uh, two other matters. One is, you're right, uh, they had an illicit affair, it was very hot, and uh, Hephaestus, the god of the forge, was the betrayed, cuckolded husband. Mm -hmm. He knew they were having the affair, so Hephaestus created uh, a golden net, and he fixed it over the bed. It was an unbreakable net. So he fixed it over the bed so that when Ares and Aphrodite were making love, the net fell on them and ensnared them and caught them. The other gods and goddesses were watching, and Hephaestus thought this would bring shame upon them. But in, in fact, the, other, the gods and goddesses laughed, and they all were, said, we're all jealous of, the gods said, we're jealous of, of Ares. We wish we were in bed with Aphrodite. <laughs> um, but what's, so, what's the the golden net of Hephaestus is also a really important part of the story that we need to look at. And one other, more part of the story, Ares and uh, Aphrodite became pregnant by Ares, mm -hmm. and they had a daughter, and her, her name was Armonia, mm -hmm. Harmony. <laughs> so what does that mean, too, that the offspring of the joining, the intercourse of love and of war is Harmony? Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, do we have things to unravel here? So one matter is, as Freud said, love and death are, are uh, equally intense, equally passionate instincts and drives that we human beings have. And Aries represents <coughs> that drive, uh, the archetype of, well, the, he was called, Homer called him the guy who delights in slaughter. Mm. Uh, when we lose our civilized control and just let the beast rip, the beast that is in all of us just rip freely, boy, during that time, it is really supercharged. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to use the word fun, but it's utterly, utterly... Um, Intoxicating. Help. <laughs> Captivating. Captivating and intoxicating. Captivating and intoxicating. Intoxicating, yes, yes. thank you. We are really, really drunk on yep. battle rage. Yep. And when we're in the battle rage, uh, we, we can all become berserkers. It's part of all of us. And when we're in that, it doesn't feel wrong. It feels great. Mm. We feel we are flooded with superhuman powers. So Ares represents that part of us. And Aphrodite 
is also the part of us that feels that way in uh, in sexuality and uh, the, the the animal, the beast that can be re released in sexuality. And that too is thoroughly intoxicating and captivating. Mm -hmm. And, oh, we, let's remember, the French call the orgasm le petit mort, the little death. Oh, wow. So even the act <laughs> of love. That's kind yeah. of <laughs> Even the act of love has death involved because <clears throat> we're blotted out. The personality is blotted out and mm -hmm. we're just in this ecstatic universal condition for a few seconds, a few minutes. And the ego's gone. So both love and war have this extraordinarily archetypal driving force that takes us over and that we cannot resist. Mm. And we can use it for destruction mm -hmm. and get off on it like Aries do. We can use it for sexuality and creation and creating beauty and get off on that like Aphrodite did. Mm -hmm. And they also come together as one. How do we hold them together? Well, there's the golden net of Hephaestus, mm. the artisan. We need art to bring together love and war in a way that's safe and that contains them. Mm. We need the arts. Uh, we need the martial arts. We need you as a dramatist to put it on the stage. Let's remember that all the Greek tragedians, Aeschylus, uh, Sophocles, Euripides, were all very highly experienced combat veterans. Mm -hmm. And like you do, Charlie, in your healing theater, they use theater to portray the energies and the stories and the emotions and the passions of war, but to put them on the stage for cultural healing, for catharsis, that's Hephaestus' chain. Mm -hmm. That's the art that's binding them together so they become contained and civilized and shaped and constructive again. Mm -hmm. And only then, when we do bind them together safely, can these powerful driving forces of humanity lead to harmony. Well, I and love, it's I, also, yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and finally, just the yin and yang. We need yin and yeah. yang, both present to achieve harmony. And we're not complete, and we are not harmonious if we don't know both of these parts of ourselves. Yes. So people say, I don't have any Aries in me. I'm yeah. just full of love. Yeah. Uh, be careful. <laughs> Excuse me. That, that's exactly what I was just going to uh, bridge off of, is that, you know, it is that sense of understanding that th how do you bring harmony? you got to, that yin and yang, that's also going on inside of the veteran. That's also going inside of the warrior. That's, that's inside of us. And it, it, we all have these collision of forces that destructive, uh, violent uh, force within us. And we also have the forces of the light, that goodness and compassion and reaching out and all that. And all that stuff is working on inside of us as well. And we have to bring the dark and the light in, into harmony within us. We have to reconcile the spirit inside of us with the predator, the animal part of us. And warriors are confronted with the truth of that unlike anybody else on the planet because they have to recognize and, and are engaged in the act of killing. And so in order to bring harmony back to themselves, they have to love that part of them that is the predator, that is the destructive element that links them to that. They have to find peace with that. And that's where the love comes in to bring that back into harmony so that now you've integrated the dark and the light within you 
And I think ultimately that's what it is, is how we heal the war within the soul, is we bring the light and the dark into that yin-yang unity and bring that ourselves back into, into oneness. Um, <clears throat> we have just, I mean, I can't believe how fast these things, this, these interviews go. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little about how does the love between the, uh, these two loves we've been talking about, the, the love of enemy and, 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 and the, the act of killing and then the uh, love between brothers and sisters who served. How do these two loves compare to the love of the lover and the family back in the world? And, um, you know, and how is this related to the warrior sexuality as well? Well, we, I'm going to take the second first. Regarding okay. sexuality, as we've said, warriors have released the primal in them. Some of them, many, if they've been in combat, many of them have met the beast within, and they know that, and that beast now can be released uh, in ways that rarely happens uh, with, or with civilians living in ordinary, uh, civilized and restrained society. So, generalizing, many warriors have a very challenged relationship to sexuality. One form of adjustment is they become hypersexual. Mm -hmm. They're looking for that intensity of experience and connection that they had in the military, that they experienced in combat, and that the only thing that, uh, that approaches that in ordinary civilian life is sexuality. And so they are really hungry for the sexual experience. Mm -hmm. So I've worked with, uh, well, I'm thinking of one wife who dragged her combat veteran husband into therapy because uh, this was like um, 10 or 15 years after he had served. And uh, they were married right afterwards, and she, she dragged him in. What's the presenting issue here? She said, I can't do it three times a day every day anymore. <laughs> I'm getting too old and too sore, and it hurts too much now. Uh, and, and he said, but I love you. I need it. I need it. I need it. I need it that much to feel human and to have that much of an intense connection. So hypersexuality in order to have the intensity of experience and connection is one form of warrior's adjustment. Another form of warrior's adjustment is hyposexuality, inhibited sexuality. Mm -hmm. Some warriors, because they have released the beast, are really frightened of sex because it is a primal experience and they're afraid that the beast is going to be released again. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they may avoid sexuality. Oops. Are we, are we okay? You just disobeyed. Oh, it's, sorry. Yes, we're okay. Uh, yeah, there oh, you are. Okay. Back. Okay, so <laughs> avoiding sexuality and intimacy because they're afraid of what re re will be released is another possible adjustment. And we hear so many stories of, uh, of warriors having nightmares mm. you know, and doing uh, violence uh, uh, in their bed or in their family. Sometimes that happens during the sexual act, that it goes from I'm making love to you to the primal is released in me, I'm choking you. Mm. Who are you? So uh, sexuality can be quite challenged as a result of the military experience. Uh, <clears throat> in general, in the family, uh, warriors are still looking for that intensity of connection, 
and will often choose to be with lawyer brothers and sisters. No, I'm not going shopping in the mall with you tonight, family, because it's boring as hell. I'm going to my veteran group, or I'm going to shoot pool at the, the VFW with my vet brothers because we can talk, because they understand me, because we can talk about things nobody else does, and because I don't feel that brotherhood, sisterhood, even in my own family, even with my wife and my children. Mm -hmm. uh, one couple that I worked with, uh, he had been a tanker in Iraq, and when he came back, uh, his wife was begging for a restoration of intimacy. And in that case, they were avoiding sexuality for the reasons that we, we talked about. Finally, in therapy, the wife be was begging, tell me your stories, tell me your stories. I want to know. And he said, if I tell you my stories, I'm going to have to tell you about the building I blew up and the, the dead babies I had to scrape all out of the remains. Mm -hmm. You really want to know that? She said, Yes, I really do, but on one condition. Oh, what's that? He gruffly said, my condition is that you listen to my stories as well, because I went through my own version of hell while you were in Iraq for a year. Every night I was frightened that you would be dead. Every night I sat up all night long listening to the news reports, watching for news of you and your unit, waiting for that call. Um, or for you know for for the the, um, the death notice to arrive at my door, mm -hmm. so I'll share stories with you if you'll also share me, mine with me and realize I have my own version of war survival. Mm -hmm. uh, the poet John Milton, famous for writing Paradise Lost, wrote in one of his poems, "We also serve who only stand and wait." Nice. So. The family members who stayed home were also serving, were also in distress, were mm -hmm. also suffering from the absence of their loved ones, and they're wounding. Their quiet, invisible, more gentle trauma must be recognized mm -hmm. and embraced as another form of intense wartime experience that needs to be honored. Mm -hmm. So we go back to the Greeks, Odysseus, 10 years at the Trojan War, but then 10 years to go get home through every challenge that our modern warriors go through in the homecoming. Mm -hmm. But Penelope, alone for 20 years, mm -hmm. fighting off suitors, trying to stay loyal. Mm -hmm. She must have been horny as could be. She <laughs> Probably was. I think she, she, she definitely was. <laughs> right? Odysseus yeah. was sleeping with the slaves and the the, the the prizes of war and goddesses on the way home. And he was holding everybody up. She so was. Who suffered was. more? What an extraordinary <laughs> woman she must have been, that's for sure. She was, yeah. And we must recognize the war story of each mm -hmm. and the form of trauma each one caused and the way each one brought creation and destruction, love and hate loneliness and hunger together into the same person and then that these must be rejoined together in the individual as you rightly said mm -hmm. and between the couple in the marriage well and i think so that's that couple i had that couple read the odyssey out loud together yeah i had him read odysseus and her read penelope and realize we are them and when they realize that and listen to each other's stories and affirm each one suffered so much that healed their intimacy, they got together again, they restored their sexuality, 
and they finally had a child. I think that's exactly what I was leading, is what you were saying. What you were saying there, Ed, is about how, you know, how can people repair the relationships? You know, and I think you, that's exactly what I was uh, wanting to expound on is, you know, people come home and you were just talking about uh, Penelope and Odysseus uh, in the Odyssey. Penelope is being the loyal wife and who has been, you know, standing by and, and pushing back the suitors. And Odysseus has been, you know, sleeping with gods and goddesses and, and, and et cetera on his way back as he's trying to work through what's going to, to heal his inner wounds. And so there has been a betrayal of trust and, and, and a loss of sense of, you know, innocence or the, the sanctity of people's marriages. And when people have taken those vows towards each other, it can be a long journey back home uh, into your family, into, your, into that marriage, whether it was, you know, man or woman who made the, those betrayals. Is it possible for us as warriors and others to regain his or her capacity to love again and be loved in return <clears throat> without the scars of those, those betrayals and those traumas that he or she experienced uh, and letting that infiltrate and pollute the sanctity of their union? You know, how can, how can traumatized people, people who have been betrayed and, and warriors and their spouses, regain a sense of trust in the realm of love and intimacy the way, uh, the way it was intended? Yes, it's possible. And the story I told is of a couple that really did that successfully. Mm -hmm. While they were in crisis and thinking about splitting up, I reminded them, Odysseus was away for 10 years. It took them that long, another 10 years to come home. Well, to, to the warrior, how long were you in, in Iraq? 14 months. Mm -hmm. At the time, he'd only been home two months, and uh, his wife dragged him into therapy right away. That was good. Uh, they were on the verge of splitting up. I said, okay, you're away for 14 months. Can the two of you give this 14 months? Like Odysseus took as much time to get home as he was away at war. Can you give it at least 14 months? Can you give it that chance and work together on the homecoming journey as hard and as deeply as you, you sustained yourselves while, while he was away. So that depth of commitment and realizing the homecoming journey is long and difficult mm -hmm. and we have to do, we really do, each one has to tell their stories mm -hmm. and each one has to be really open to an understanding and forgiving of the stories mm -hmm. that they hear and each one has to not be angry or feel repulsed or judgmental by the stories they hear mm -hmm. and they have to work to not be afraid of each other mm -hmm. if either or both of them have been untrue have, have uh, been unfaithful to the marriage well under these conditions can we understand and forgive and accept that mm -hmm. because these conditions of war are not the same as having an affair you know in, in the office under <laughs> civilian conditions right so we have to do storytelling, we have to do forgiveness, we have to do atonement, we have to give each other that, we have to become partners, spouses of any gender, have to become battle buddies at home for the homeward journey with as much loyalty and intensity and devotion as the warriors are to their battle buddies in the combat zone. Yeah. And that's we a, do that yeah. and do the practice the steps of homecoming 
yeah, they can have a stronger than ever marriage and uh, love relationship. I agree. I agree. And that, again, that's, you know, our, our theme today is the power of love, you know, love and intimacy. Yeah. And that allows you to have a deeper intimacy when you can look and see uh, those scars of that person and, and being able to love through it and, and recognizing our human frailties. And these are confronting our shadows and it requires an immense love for that person. Uh, Ed, we have, we're right up at the end of this. I can't believe how this goes so fast. But I do want to get a couple, just really quick, um, if you could answer this. Uh, we just do, How does love have a place in the trauma healing process? And if so, can we invoke it? Is it possible? Oh, goodness. Oh, man. Um, I love my warriors, and uh, if there isn't love in the trauma healing process, it ain't going to work. Yeah. Uh, we can reduce symptoms without love. And most of medicine and psychology today are about symptom control and reduction to get people functioning again. But therapists need to be deeply loving. And we need, uh, just like we said about partners in life, it's also true between the healer and the wounded warrior. Mm -hmm. There needs to be profound depths of acceptance, understanding, safety, trust, and a deep, deep, deep abiding love. Uh, when I began, I'm not a veteran, and when I began working with veterans, I utterly subsumed myself to listen to them deeply, to follow them, to allow myself to be initiated into the dark world that they were in so that I could join them there and 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 fall in love and mm -hmm. understand the world that they were living in so we could be together in there and then I could eventually become a guide through the underworld. But it was utterly, it had to be fueled and guided by love. Mm -hmm. uh, Buddha said, hatreds never cease by hatred in this world. Only by love they cease. This is the ancient law. We need love to wipe out the hatred that's in us. And, and it has to be part of the healing process. I absolutely 100% agree. Uh, folks, thank you so much for tuning in today's show. Uh, I just want to quickly thank KUHS-TV, the stream. That's where we're broadcasting from out here in Colorado. KUHS. Radio TV, The Stream. I just want to thank you, Henry, and everybody who does so much work behind the scenes to make this show possible. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, everybody here, tune in to KUHS-TV uh, Radio, The Stream. We are broadcasting not only here in Denver, but all across the nation and all across the world. Uh, our show here, The Council, is being listened to by thousands and thousands of people all around the world. I just want to thank each and every one of you. It is an honor and a privilege to be your host. Uh, Ed, thank you so much for being on the show. I, I really quick, I always, right before I end the show, it's, it's kind of a signature way to end it. Uh, I always ask my guests, if you could give one piece of advice, Ed, one bit of wisdom from your life, your life experience, uh, what would it be? Keep your heart open in hell. Uh, 
walk through hell with your heart wide open, whether you're in hell and you still need to feel everything you are, or whether you're within with a loved one or a friend, or you're in a helping relationship, keep your heart wide open as you walk through hell and let love be stronger than the heartbroken. It is. I love that. Amen to that. Amen. Love you, Ed, so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, sir, for being on the show with us. Thank you. Love you. All right, love folks. Uh, we will be back next week. We've got another great show for you here on the council. You want to tune into it next week, 1 to 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time here on KUHS TV Radio, the stream. The council is adjourned. May you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. May you all be whole. God bless.